Glad that you're with us here at First Baptist Church this morning. And if you picked up the sermon packets out on the Welcome Center, it's going to look different today. The ending and the beginning uh, will be different. So you might not be able to follow along like you do, but I'm excited for what God has for this morning. Excited that you're here. Um, some of you maybe for the first time and others have been here for a long time because we're all on a different journey in our faith walk. And wherever that faith walk and why it's brought you here this morning, I just want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for being open to what God's doing in your life. So we're in our third week of a new sermon series that will last basically through uh, Memorial Day weekend. It's called Patriarchs and Matriarchs, The Way of Faith. And the sermon title this morning is Ishmael, God Hears. And it's taken out of Genesis 16. And we'll probably get to 17. The hope was to get through 17, but we'll see where God goes with this this morning. So I've been asking you to read two chapters a week so that you, as you walk in here on Sunday mornings, will not be like, what is Pastor Ryan preaching from? But that you will be immersed in the text, that you will be marinated into the Word of God all throughout the week, and that God will be showing you lessons from this passage. And then when you walk in here, you're ready to hear what God has for us corporately and for what God has for us individually. So thank you if you've been reading along. And if you haven't, I please just, just start, just jump in and see what God has to show for you. But for next week, I'm going to make it easy. Because as I was looking at the schedule, um, Pastor Stuckey's speaking in two weeks, and I'm, I gave him the, the Sodom and Gomorrah passage, and that's like in another chapter. So for next week, all you have to do is read read Genesis 18 verses 1 through 15 and maybe 17 if we don't get there today. So, so that's kind of why we're doing this and why it's so important to be in God's Word. And through these chapters, we've been looking so far at Abram and Sarai, and we've been looking at their walk of faith, what God has called them to do, how he's called them to follow him, and he, their starting place was in barrenness. They were not able to have children. But all through this journey, God has been teaching them lessons. He's saying, walk with me. Last week, we see them fail big time. He's saying, get up, walk with me, walk with me. That's what he's calling us to do as believers and as those that are seeking him maybe for the first time. Just continue to walk. So let me just pray before we open up the text. So, Father, we're going to be in Genesis 16, continuing the story of Abram and Sarai this morning. And there's some things that I want to say and I want the congregation to hear that I know you've laid on my heart. So, Father, <clears throat> Father, may these be words that aren't thousands and thousands of years old, but they're words that are that old, but they apply to us today in the 21st century. So may the words in my heart, and my words in my mouth, and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O oh God, because you're my rock and you're my redeemer. And Father, we say thank you for the word of God. That's how we get to know you. That's how we get to know how you want us to live. You reveal ourselves through this word, your word. So reveal yourself even more this morning. You are the God that sees, the God that hears, and the God that holds us fast. May that come across powerful this morning. In your precious name I pray, amen. So take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 16. 
That'll be our starting point in our text this morning. And the author makes it very clear that even though many years have passed since he's called Abram and Sarai onto this journey, they still persist in their barrenness. So listen how to verse 1 opens up. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. We've seen this chapter after chapter. It's a stark reality and a stark reminder of what is going on in their life. Even though many years have passed, even though their livestock and their, their nation has exploded as they wandered around, they still persist in their barrenness. And the question that I asked last week is still pertinent today. How much time is reasonable to wait on God to prove himself? How much time is reasonable? Think about that in your own life. Because in the early days of their pilgrimage, God promised Abram and Sarai that he would give them plenty of children and a nation would come from them. And yet, it has been long and nothing. We get to a point in life where we go so long in unchanged circumstances that something begins to happen in you. Something begins to change. Not so much that you don't believe anymore, but something begins to morph in, in, in us. It's been so long for Abram and Sarai. They still believe the promises of God. They still believe that God counted it righteous unto them. But, but they began to experience a shifting in the way they believed. Because good grief, it has been so very long. So verse 1 continues. But she had, Hagar, had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So they, they believed that God would keep his promise. But maybe, just maybe, God needed their help. So listen to verse 3. Listen to the verbs in verse 3. So Sarai... Abram's wife took, say took with me, took Hagar and the Egyptian servant and gave, say gave, gave her to Abram as his wife. So the situation has grown extremely desperate. They're waiting and they're waiting and God, how long do we have to wait? And sometimes when you and I live in unchanged circumstances, even though we still believe in the thing that is coming, our beliefs begin to morph. And we start taking things into our own hands. Yes, I believe that the promise of God is true. But maybe this is what God meant. I, I, I mean, Hagar seems capable. Maybe this is how God intended to bless us. Maybe we didn't understand what God was saying in the first place. It, it sounds reasonable. Maybe we should consider it. And how does Abraham re Abram respond? Does he say, no, we can't do that? No, instead of leading and directing and saying, no, this is what God promised, he listens to his wife, and then he follows, to, follows his wife. Again, if you live... This, this thought has been in my mind all week. If you live 
long enough in unchanged circumstances, you begin to shift how you believe, whether it's healthy or not. We just do. It happens over and over in our lives. And I, can I tell you, Stacy and I know what that is like. We can relate to Abram and Sarai. And I'm sure many of you guys can as well. So I want to share a little bit of our adoption story. And Stacy's going to join me. So, so go back with us to 1991. We began dating. I was smitten with her. Everything about her. Her looks, her personality, her faith, uh, her desire to do what God wants her to do in her life. And it was one on one of our first dates. A couple, couple, couple months into it, she said, Ryan, just so you know, and be aware that God is calling me to adopt someday. I want a large family. I wanted three kids. She wanted at least six or more. And, and part of that is going to happen through adoption. So I stuck with her. We pursued. We got married. And our love for each other grew and grew and grew. But also our faith grew. God gave us so many opportunities to grow in faith. But life was not always easy. We had a short season of infertility as we were trying to have kids. We had to go to some doctor's appointments. And we had loved ones around us, family members that were getting pregnant without even being married. And we're like, God, what is this? We've done it right. Right. Stacy got diagnosed with a malignant melanoma in, in her leg. And they had to have surgery and deal with that cancer diagnosis. I went back to school, and it was financially extremely rough on our family. Stacy's grandpa died. We moved away from family to, call God, to follow God's call into ministry. But during all that time, all those difficult things, all the good things, our faith continued to grow, and God was leading us towards this adoption process in unity. So we began the process of international adoption from Guatemala at the end of 2005. It was a very frustrating process of paperwork and, and hoops to jump through. But we saw God continue to open doors and, and provide in amazing ways that our faith was even deepened, right? We finally got all the paperwork submitted and approved, and we were put on a waiting list. And we waited, and we waited. And finally, in May of 2007, I was coaching a, saw, a, a baseball game. Stacy comes running out to the baseball field with papers that she had just printed off of pictures of our daughter. And she showed me those pictures, and we're like, this is the daughter we've been waiting for. And instantly we fell in love. So that was May. She was born May 5. A couple of weeks later, we get the pictures. Early June, we're on a plane, and we go to Guatemala. We get to meet her and spend a few days with her. It was amazing. And then we had to leave. We had to say goodbye. But we were assured that the process would take three to six months. Three to six months. It's already been over a month, so we're like, anytime. So we get back home, 
And every month, the orphanage sends us updates. They send us CDs of, CDs at that time, of, of pictures and videos and updates. They, they, they gave us updates on her personality. Um, they said she was personality plus plus, which she still is today, and it was great. But we kept getting those updates. During that time, we made it through the whole Guatemalan process, through all the court systems, and everything was working out like they had told us to do. She was legally our daughter, but the municipality holding her birth certificate would not release it. She was stuck. This municipality contacted our agency and said, we want money for her birth certificate. And our agency said, we're not going to pay that. And we weren't going to pay that either. And we were stuck. Five months turned into six months. Six months turned into seven months. And during that time, right, about six or seven months, we moved up here to be your pastor, youth pastors in January of 2008, right in the middle of some of our hardest faith adventures that we've ever been on. And then on January 1, 2008, all adoptions closed in Guatemala. They shut the door. The ones that were in process were allowed to continue. So we were in process. She was legally ours, but we still couldn't get that birth certificate. And all of our friends that were adopting that we had met, all their daughters and sons came home, but not our daughter, Anea. Eight months turned into nine months. Nine months turned into ten months. And her one-year birthday was approaching and if you know Stacy's heart, it was hurting. And she wanted to be with her daughter for her one-year birthday. It was a very, very dark time for us. No help from any source. No word on when this was going to end or how it was going to be resolved. And we waited. And we felt like Abram and Sarai saying, God, how long? How long? Stacy's going to share a little bit of what she was feeling and walking through at this time. Okay. Well, I can't stand in front of that. I'm too short. But, um, okay. Well, first of all, you know, I hate to be up here. I don't like this at all. But my pastor said <laughs> that we need to celebrate and praise the Lord publicly. And so here is my prayer. It's from the, what we read this morning, Psalm 51, 15. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Um, I feel like this is old news. A lot of you have heard this story. <clears throat> but I know there are new people that have not. So here we go. So Ryan explained, and he was going to just speak this, and I was asking him, so what were you saying? Because he knew I wasn't going to come up here. And I said, so what are you going to say? Like, how are you going to say this? And he started telling me, and I'm like, yeah, but it was this. And so he's like, you really just need to do it. So here I am. This was at 1030 last night. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good thing, because I wouldn't have done this all week. That would not have worked out. But So up until that point that he explained I was doing pretty well I had always had a very strong faith and uh, it was at this point that my focus started to shift from being on God to what he could do to what I was missing out on Anaya and the fact that she was 
literally being held hostage. I would have done anything to have her home, and I could not understand why God would keep her in an orphanage and not allow us to have her in our home. I explained as if she was sitting on the bridge of my nose, and it was like there was not a second of the day that I was not consumed with her and praying over this situation. But nothing. Proverbs 13:12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And oh, was my heart sick. I was growing weary and sad and angry. Then one of the moms that got her daughter home already told me that I just needed to have more faith. And I remember thinking that that was the most insensitive thing she could say at the time because I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt God could do it. And I just couldn't understand why he was choosing not to. And it crushed me. For the first time in my life, I felt like my prayers were falling on deaf ears and my faith was shaken. I remember getting so angry at God and crying out to him about why he was not intervening. I remember putting my fist up to God and saying, oh, if this is the way you treat your child, then I really don't want to be a part of this. But that didn't last long because I knew if I didn't have God, I had nothing. I really had to rely on him, but I was at rock bottom. So I placed my hopes strictly in him at that point. It was ugly and messy, and I didn't know what end was up, pretty much. I was a mess. <laughs> and it was about that time we got a call from our adoption coordinator, and she said, due to the fact that Anea has been here for so long, <laughs> and they'd never had this situation before, they were going to start charging us for her care. We had already paid so much, depleted our savings. I was like, no, you know what? That's not going to happen. I will come down and take care of her myself then. And they said, no, we don't, we don't do that. <laughs> well, if anyone knows me, Mama Bear comes out real strong. And I don't do phone calls, but I hung up the phone with them, and I called the founder of the orphanage, Heather Radu. And I explained our situation to her and told her what my plan was. I said, I want to come down there. I want to take care of her. I can't do this any longer. And she was like, yeah, that's a great idea. I was like, oh, well, you better tell your people because they told me no. And she said, I will take care of it. So Ryan bought uh, four boys and I one-way tickets to Guatemala. And I lived there for seven weeks, and God miraculously got us our birth certificate. This is like the Cliff Notes version of the story. Um, the trip, the experience, the walk of faith that we were on was the second half of that Proverbs 13, 12. But a dream fulfilled was a tree, is a tree of life. And I wish I could say that immediately everything was fine, and I was just right back in my faith, and it's... It's been a very difficult journey. That We went on and did a second adoption. It wasn't easy. I kept my focus squarely on Jesus that time, and it was a totally different experience. But the point was that I took my focus off of God, put it on something else, and I can see the strange things that I'm glad that the Bible includes Sarah and Ab Abraham's stories because the faith, they're still included in that um, hall of faith. And that's 
that's so important to me because I know that, yeah, I had a rough time and God brought me through it and he can still count it to me as righteousness. So you see why I love her? <laughs> but, but, but I wanted to... We've read Abram and Sarah so many times. We wanted you to hear a real-life story of, of how we get into that type of situation, how, how, we, how, how we get stuck in that same type of woe is me and, and, and we, we don't know what God's, what, what God's going to do. And we, we start doing some desperate things. We, start, we, we, we see the circumstance. It hasn't changed. Yeah, we still believe that God can do it. But maybe we change the narrative a little bit. Maybe we don't react the way we should. And the longer we persist in unchanged circumstances, our mind and our hearts begin to play tricks on us. And you listen to other things that you would rather or otherwise not listen to. And, and, and if we're honest, we all can say, how, how many of you say, I've been there before? The rest of you are lying. I'm just thankful that God includes stories like this in the Bible. Now let's watch how God responded to Abram and Sarai. So we're up to verse 4a, 4a of chapter 16. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. Abram's like, okay, this must be the plan. This is what we're going to do to help God keep his promises. 4B. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. And and I want to shout back in time. What did you think was going to happen? When you choose sin, it never works. It never works out like you hope it would. Because God hates sin and sin separates God. You from God. And it separates you from the God's best in your life. Verse 5. Then Sarai said to Abram, This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, Look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. So Abram and Sarah, they follow through on their plan, and now they start fighting about it. Sarah's like, this thing is on you. Abram's like, you're the one who came up with the idea. She was your servant. You deal with it how you want. Leave me out of it. I want nothing to do with it. And the text goes on in, in verse 6b, and, and it says, Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. She treated her so bad that Sarah had to leave, or that Hagar had to leave. She understood the principle that hurting people hurt people. You cannot fix yourself by breaking some other person. And Sarah's hurt. She took advantage of her servant girl. The next thing that happens is something about the character and the nature of God that you and I have to hear 
all these centuries later. It changes how we walk in faith. It changed my and Stacy's viewpoint of what God was doing through this adoption. So let's pick it up in verse 7, and I want to read through 16. Then the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside the spring of water in the wilderness, along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. The son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. You can't make that stuff up. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, I have truly seen the one who sees me. So that well where she was at was named Bir Lahi Roi, which means well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born to him. So, so we have to see what's happening in this situation. Because here's where the story turns. They've been waiting so long. They've taken things into their own hands. Hagar becomes pregnant. She runs away after being treated harshly. She is found violated. She's found isolated. She's found weeping in the wilderness by the angel of God. And the first thing that the angel of the Lord says to her is, she, did you catch it? He calls her by what? Her name. He says, Hagar, Hagar, I have read past that so many times and missed it. Did not appreciate the significance of that because nobody else called her by her name. Abram didn't call her by her name. In the text we have, Sarah doesn't address her by her name. It's just servant. Her value in their eyes was only as significant as what she could produce for them. And they, took, and they took and they gave. They took advantage of her. Have you ever been in that situation where your value to somebody else is only what you can produce for them? It hurts. It's awful. And that's where we find Hagar here. The Lord paid attention to her and said, Hagar, Hagar, you are pregnant with a son, and you are to name him, what is it? Ishmael. Ishmael means God hears. You are going to give birth to God hears. So here she is. Just put yourself in that situation. Put yourself in Stacy's situation or whatever situation that you're in. Here's Hagar. In the middle of the wilderness, abandoned, violated. There's not a friend to be found anywhere. And she encounters the God who hears. 
when no one else wanted her, when no one else would pay attention to her, God shows up. And, and she could relate, I think, to Psalm 139, verses 1 through 2, 1 through 12. She, 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 she understood what the psalmist was going to write. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart. Now, envision her sitting underneath this tree. Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down and I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of morning, if I dwell in the furthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day, Darkness and light are the same to you. Hagar met with the God who hears and sees and held her fast when everyone else was throwing her away. So what does she do in response? She gives God a name. She says, you are El Roy. You're the God who sees me. In this place where I thought I was all alone, I wasn't. And this is the first time in the Word of God where a human gives God a name. And God accepts it, and I go, holy cow! That is amazing. And it's from a female Egyptian servant who is far away from home. She's been violated. She is weeping under a tree, and she gives God a name. And right there, we are introduced to a powerful theme that carries out throughout the rest of the Word of God. We see it over and over and over. The, the God that we serve is a God that hears and a God that sees the cry of those who are desperate, who are outcasts, who are violated, who don't know what to do. And we see that all through Scripture. Yeah, I wrote down about six or seven different ones. Leviticus, don't take advantage of the foreigners who live within your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as, I, as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord. Deuteronomy 9, 17, verse through 19. For the Lord God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to the foreigners. Next one. Jeremiah eleven seventeen. I will give back your health and heal your wounds, says the Lord, for you are called an outcast, Jerusalem, for no one who cares. Who cared? God cared. And we can keep moving right on through, but then we see, we see Jesus in Luke chapter 4, when he goes to his own hometown in Nazareth, 
and he picks up the scrolls, and this is what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to who? The poor. He sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then we can go to the end. We can go to Jesus' brother in James. Pure. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's addressing the, church, the people and saying, there's some religion that is fluff. But this is the type of religion that has grit. Pure and genuine religion is the sight of, and the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and the widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Are, are you hearing my heart, church? The one deniable call, undeniable call in our walk of faith is this. We have a God who sees and hears everyone. The down and out. The desperate. Have you looked at others through the eyes of Jesus Christ? Have we looked at one another? The orphan, the widow, the refugee, the outcast, the addicted, the down and out, the mentally ill, those that are crying out to God the way that Jesus, the God who sees, does. We are called to live like the ancient matriarch who said God sees and God, God hears. And we have to remember that each time we gather and come before God, how far God has reached into the wilderness to grab you out and to, to hear what God has to say about you. Stop getting your identity from what the world says. God has so much to say about you, and he sees you, and he hears you. And we gather to celebrate that on a weekly basis. And we have a God who sees and hears because once you understand that, it changes everything. So the end of chapter 16, Hagar, Hagar has a baby, and she gives birth to a God who hears. And then we get to chapter 17, and we're not going to have time to go there today, but I just want to show you the first verses of it. Because it's been 13 years now that Ishmael has been born. And as far as we know, God has not spoken to Abram or Sarai during those 13 years. And Sarah and Ab Sarai and Abram are feeling pretty good about the plan that they helped God with. They got their son, didn't they? But God comes to them and says, my promise still remains. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. So do you see how God approached Abram? I'm El Shaddai, second name of God here. Another name that describes God's character. We, we see it seven times in Scripture where God refers to him as El Shaddai. And every reference of El Shaddai paints a picture of a God who is mighty to do what he says. What he says will come to pass. 
no matter what we choose to do. God does not reprimand Abram about having a child with Hagar. He just comes to him and says, I'm El Shaddai. I'm Almighty God. I will keep my promises. And you, Abram, you are to be faithful and live a blameless life. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. And this hits Abram like a two-by-four across the head. Because verse 3 says, Abram fell face down on the ground. And Abram realizes that he and Sarai made a choice that God did not want them to make. And that he needed a wake-up call. Don't we all need that once in a while? Well, we, we stroll, we're on our faith journey, and then we kind of veer off when hard things come. Or when we have doubts, or when we have questions. And God's like, wake up, whack! I'm still going to keep my promise. I'm still going to do what I said I was going to do. God knows what you're going through. I don't know what you're going through. There's 300 people in here. We all have a different story. But God knows you, and God sees you. Just like he saw Abram and Sarai, and just like he saw Hagar. God knows you and sees you, and he will hold you fast as you walk with him. Do you believe that? Is that part of your faith journey? Dave, come on up, Dave. Is that part of the journey that God's got you on? Maybe this morning you had to be whacked across the head and say, you know what? God sees me. Maybe you're in a life of sin. God sees you. Repent. Turn. Maybe you've been violated. Maybe you're hurting so deep. God sees you. He not only sees you and hears you, but he will hold you fast. Now I want you to think about that as you think of the Ukrainians sitting in their home and in their churches this morning getting bombed. Doesn't that change how they live? Like their God sees them and hears them no matter what they're going through? And we sit in comfy pews. Chairs now, okay. And we complain. But we have a God who sees us and hears us and holds us fast. So we got a short video to lead us into the next. You want to explain it more? All right. Okay. This is a Ukrainian family that understand this principle. <laughs> 